The reading is from Matthew chapter 27, starting at verse 11. Jesus before Pilate. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now it was the governor's custom at the feast to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? for he knew it was out of envy that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message, Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do, then, with Jesus, who is called Christ? Pilate asked. They all answered, Crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him! When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I'm innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, let his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Thank you very much, Anne, and good morning, everybody. And good morning to those of you who are watching at home. I wonder whether you ever attempt to share your faith with your friends and neighbours. And if you do, I wonder what sort of reaction you get. So I suppose one possible reaction is you might be met with outright hostility. Someone might say to you, why are you telling me all this? I don't, I'm not interested in your God. I'm perfectly happy as I am. Don't try and force your, don't try and force your beliefs on me. Just go away. That's a possibility, isn't it? Another possibility is you might come across somebody who, by rational argument and debate, tries to persuade you that there isn't a God and that it's pointless to try and believe in a God in this day and age, in the 21st century. Surely it's all just a fairy story. Maybe you might come across somebody who adheres to a different faith, who thinks that they can access God in a different way and that their way is superior to ours. Perhaps more likely than all of these reactions is that you'll be met simply with indifference. Polite indifference, yes, but indifference nevertheless. I guess this might be a peculiarly British response. I know that there are parts of the world which are much more open to spiritual things. Many of you, I know, have 
lived and worked in parts of the world where speaking about faith and about Jesus would actually feel a lot more natural. And then again, by contrast, there are parts of the world where it's actually very difficult to speak about spiritual things, where the authorities perhaps try to clamp down on it, where they're frightened of people uh, choosing a life of faith, and they actually will prevent people from doing so. But at least in, in the UK at the moment, my guess is that that sort of polite indifference to spiritual things is quite a common response. It's partly because, I guess, we live in an age when people really don't like to commit to anything or anyone. Corporate life, community life, is sort of shrinking, isn't it? And private life, a life lived behind closed doors, is on the rise. And you don't need me to tell you that COVID and the associated lockdowns have simply made that worse. So it's no surprise, is it, that many people don't really want to investigate the claims that Jesus might have on their lives. It struck me thinking about this that the relationship that many people would like to have with Jesus is a bit like the relationship you have with somebody who's coming in the opposite direction on an escalator. You know when you're on the tube or if you're in a, a department store like John Lewis, you're going up an escalator or you're going down an escalator and there's another escalator on the other side coming in the other direction. And you can, as you go, as you make your journey, you can see somebody coming in the other direction. And then ju there's just a fleeting moment, isn't there, when you're next to each other and then you pass by and you go in one direction and they go in another. That's in many ways, the sort of fleeting, passing relationship which people want to have with Jesus. People want him just to pass them by, or they want to pass him by and not allow him to have any impact on their lives. People generally are reluctant to engage with Jesus. And that word engagement is our, is our word for this morning in, a, in our series about encountering Jesus. We're thinking this morning about what it means to engage with Jesus. And we're going to be thinking about this in particular by reflecting on the story that Anne read to us of Jesus' encounter with Pilate. Or maybe we should say Pilate's encounter with Jesus. Just before we do that, let's, let's just have a think about some of the different ways in which we use the word engage in modern life. It's got quite a number of meanings, hasn't it? We talk about people being engaged to be married. And that implies a degree of commitment between two people, two people agreeing that they want their lives to be intertwined with each other, to be connected permanently with each other. In a sporting context, we talk about, um, if you think about a, a scrum in rugby, I need an expert witness here, Andrew, you can tell me about this, but the two packs of forwards lock together, don't they? And they, they wrestle for the ball. I know that the lawmakers of the game keep changing the, the terminology and the words, but it's not very long ago that when the two groups of forwards were settling down in the scrum, one of the, one of the instructions the referee would give them was to engage. And you can imagine those two groups of players coming together 
interlocking and wrestling for possession of the ball. If you were learning to drive, your instructor might tell you to engage first gear or second gear. And that carries with it, doesn't it, the idea of the gear wheels with their sort of teeth that interlock. And as one wheel turns, the teeth interlock with another wheel, and that wheel turns as well. So all of these different uses that we have for the word engage carry with them the idea that you've got two people or two groups of people or two things that are coming together and having an impact on each other and allowing each other to affect the way they move and the way they act. So let's hold, hold those ideas in mind as we think about Jesus' uh, conversations and encounter with Pilate. It's actually quite, this chapter presents us with quite a complex picture of who, what, what Jesus, uh, that sort of relationship that he had with Pilate. It helps to begin with if we think about the role that Pilate had uh, and what function he was performing. So Pilate was the Roman governor, and at the time, the Roman Empire was, the, was the, the ruling authority in that part of the world. All power and authority derived from Rome, derived from the emperor. Minority groups like the Jews were tolerated, but they were tolerated within a very tightly governed framework. And when it came to important matters like criminal justice, which might lead to the imposition of the death sentence, it was the Roman governor who had to make a decision. So the ultimate irony for the Pharisees was that if they wanted to do away with Jesus, they had to go to the hated Roman authorities in order to do their dirty work for them. So, Pilate had a public function which meant that he really had no alternative but to engage with Jesus, at least in a limited way. It was his job to determine the evidence and to decide if Jesus was guilty or not, and then to sentence him. That was his civic function, that was his public role, and he really didn't have any choice but to engage with Jesus in that limited way. Pilate's wife, perhaps perceptively, realizes that involvement with Jesus might cause problems for Pilate, and so she advises Pilate to avoid it. The judgment of wives in these matters is always correct, it says here. <laughs> Pilate's wife knows that if Jesus lets, sorry, if, if he lets Jesus go, he's going to incur the wrath of the Jewish leaders. On the other hand, if he condemns Jesus, then he risks potentially a riot amongst Jesus' own supporters, who've, who've proved over the preceding couple of years to be a fairly unpredictable bunch. So Pilate's wife encourages Pilate just to let Jesus slip by his life with the minimum of interaction. Have as little to do with him as possible. He's going to be trouble. 
So for Pilate, alongside his position in public life, where he had this role where he had to engage with Jesus, he had to make a decision about Jesus, at the same time, he'd got this private voice from his own wife telling him not to get involved. Don't engage with Jesus, said Pilate's wife. So what does Pilate do? Well, he does seem to want to get involved with Jesus in some way. We get the impression, don't we, that he was intrigued by Jesus. He wanted to understand who Jesus was. He wanted to understand what he was all about. We get the impression that Pilate wanted to know what all the fuss was about. He will no doubt have heard about this itinerant preacher who was going around allegedly healing people and attracting great crowds. He will have known that Jesus had attracted a following. And so he's almost bound to have been surprised that the Jewish leaders wanted to kill him and do away with him. So there is a sense, I think, in which Pilate wanted to engage with Jesus. He wanted to know what was going on here and what all the fuss was about. So what form did Pilate's engagement with Jesus take? Well, he asks a number of key questions, doesn't he? Verse 11, he asks Jesus directly, are you the king of the Jews? You get the impression, I mean, yes, it's a question that he may well have needed to ask in order to determine whether Jesus was guilty of the, the blasphemy of which the Jewish leaders were accusing him. But you really get the impression that Pilate wanted to know. He wanted to know what Jesus thought about himself, what he perceived his own mission to be. And then the chief priests and the elders accuse Jesus, and Jesus makes no reply. And so Pilate asks him another question. He says, don't you hear the testimony against you? He's asking Jesus what his response is to what the Pharisees and the chief priests are saying. It, it's, again, it's almost as if Pilate wants to give Jesus another opportunity to explain himself. And then further on in the story, we have this, um, this tradition where where one of the uh, prisoners had to be released. And the mob demanded the release of Barabbas rather than Jesus. And so then Pilate addresses a question to the crowd. He asks them, why crucify him? What crime has he committed? Again, Pilate seems slightly baffled. He's heard the crowd baying for the blood of Jesus and allowing this convicted robber, Barabbas, to be freed. And he's, he's, in, he's intrigued, he's puzzled, he wants to know why this is. Verse 14 tells us that Pilate reacted with great amazement. This was a very worldly Roman governor, so for him to be amazed, the events that were unfolding before him must have been really quite remarkable. So was Pilate actually engaging with Jesus, do we think? Well, he was at least asking the relevant questions. 
that was because his curiosity was aroused. He knew that he was in the presence of someone who was different, someone actually who was unique. Eventually, we're told that Pilate saw he was getting nowhere. Again, that seems to suggest that at one point Pilate had perhaps had some thought that he might persuade the crowd that Jesus should be let go. But Pilate realized he was facing an uphill task in that. And ultimately, he gave in to the pressure. He wasn't willing to engage with Jesus enough to be patient and wait for the answers to his questions and wait to see what Jesus would do next. He gave in to the pressure and gave the crowd what they wanted. So, what can we learn from this story about the way in which we might share our faith and the way in which we might engage with Jesus? We spoke at the beginning, didn't we, about the way that people around us often react to Jesus with indifference. So how can we share our faith in ways that lead people to be intrigued by the person of Jesus so that they too might want to investigate and ultimately engage with him? We need to speak of our experience of Jesus, don't we, in a way that makes people curious to know more about him. If when we share our faith, people's impression of Jesus is all rather sort of bland, then it's not surprising that they're going to decline to have anything more than just a passing engagement with him. We need, too, to share our faith in ways that are engaging to people in the way that they communicate. Pilate learned about Jesus because of word of mouth because people from different towns would have visited their friends and they'd have said hey have you heard about this Jesus and they would have passed it on by word of mouth the news would have got around in our modern day what's the equivalent of that well probably it's various forms of social media isn't it you tell one friend and they message their friends and they message their friends and before long everybody knows something so maybe when we're sharing good news about what Jesus has done in our lives, we've got to use some of those ways in which people do share good news and share our faith using the media that people use today, the media that people engage with. And that illustrates, if you like, the importance of community in determining our engagement with Jesus. When news gets around and lots of people believe the same thing, it's easier for people to engage. People find it easier to believe in something and to engage with something when they know that other people believe and engage with the same thing. So there's very definitely a corporate element here in engaging with Jesus. But also, how do we as individuals engage with him and not just have that very fleeting relationship. Richard Foster, at the beginning of his book, Celebration of Discipline, writes that the curse of the age is superficiality. The curse of the age is superficiality. 
We need to avoid superficiality, don't we? To, to go deeper with Jesus. That involves taking time, time to listen, time to wait on him, and not necessarily to expect instant answers. Sometimes we need to wrestle with him, don't we? To, to engage with him for a prolonged period until we come to an understanding of what he wants us to do. As we come to the period of Easter, how are we going to engage with the person of Jesus and what he's done for us? It seems to me that Easter is the time when, more than any other time, Jesus engages with us. What he did on the cross engages with us. If we think back to those uses of the word engaged to be married, well, committed to someone. Isn't this a time when we can commit ourselves to Jesus in the way he committed himself to us? That image of the rugby scrum, wrestling, wrestling to get to the truth, maybe. And those gear wheels turning. When, when, the, when, when Jesus' wheel of his life, if you like, turns because he sacrificed himself, does our life turn with it? So don't let Jesus pass by. When, when we have an opportunity, as we do, to engage with Jesus, the Son of the living God, don't, let's not let that opportunity slip through our fingers. Let us, like Pilate, ask the big questions. But unlike Pilate, let us actively and patiently wait for the answers. And then when we get them, let's act upon them. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are sorry that so often the indifference of the world around us to Jesus is because of what they see in our lives. And we do not demonstrate a sufficiently engaging and dynamic view of you. We pray that you would help us to commit our lives to you in a way that means that we're constantly engaged day by day, wrestling with you to find out what you want from us and for our lives. And we pray that in the way that we witness to you and share our faith, many others like Pilate would be intrigued, would want to know what the fuss is about, and through that might come to a saving knowledge of you. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.